Hello. Seven weeks since Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the global food and energy crisis that's followed, the UN Secretary General has explained how to get help to the most vulnerable. Climate shocks and chronic violence have also created famine-like conditions and desperate scenes in Somalia and South Sudan, humanitarians tell us. While in Brazil, activists, women journalists and more face appalling violence, a top rights expert has said. In more positive news, we hear how a small town in Italy sparked a global slow food movement. And there's closing comments as ever from regular guest Solange Behetege-Cortez. That's all coming up in this week's UN Catch-Up Dateline Geneva with me, Daniel Johnson. First, the news. As the war in Ukraine continues to impact on global food and energy costs, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres has issued a strong appeal to help developing countries urgently. The UN chief's call comes seven weeks since the Russian invasion, which has pushed up the cost of food imports for countries in the most vulnerable regions of the world. 1.7 billion people are now highly exposed to disruptions in food, energy and finance systems that are triggering increases in poverty and hunger, the Secretary-General said. Here he is now speaking at Wednesday's launch of the first report by the UN's Global Crisis Response Group on food, energy and finance in New York. We need to pull developing countries back from the financial brink. The international financial system has deep pockets. I've been strongly advocating for its reform. But developing countries need help now, and the funds are there. Oil prices have risen by more than 60% in the past year, natural gas prices have shot up by 50% in recent months, and the cost of fertiliser has more than doubled, said Mr Guterres, who also warned that rising inflation has contributed to many developing countries drowning in debt. Solutions to this crisis include lifting all unnecessary import restrictions on food and energy, directing surpluses to countries who need them most, and stopping food price volatility, the UN chief said. On the energy crisis, Mr Guterres urged countries to release strategic reserves, but also phase out fossil fuels and focus on a just transition to renewable energy. The threat of famine is very real in Somalia and South Sudan, and urgent action is needed now to avoid a catastrophe. UN humanitarians have warned. The alert on Tuesday followed the latest food security assessments, which showed that 6 million people in Somalia will face acute food insecurity in the coming months, unless the rains come. That is almost double the number at the start of the year, said Lara Fossi, World Food Programme Deputy Country Director in Somalia. She explained that the country last endured famine in 2011 and only narrowly avoided it in 2016-17 thanks to prompt humanitarian intervention. There are dozens of camps for the internally displaced people, which have grown exponentially in the last few months. Thousands of households are pouring into them from the areas hardest hit by the drought. They're desperately seeking assistance. And when you visit some of these camps, you can see the lines of the new arrivals coming in. And many of these people are women and children. And frankly, it's impossible to see them and not be shocked by the visible signs of destitution and life-threatening malnutrition. The situation is equally devastating in South Sudan, where two-thirds of the country will likely face hunger between May and July of this year, according to the Food and Agriculture Organization. That means about 7.7 million people, which is the highest number ever recorded. Famine was declared in two counties of South Sudan in 2017, although prompt international assistance prevented the situation from deteriorating further. 
finally to Brazil, where a top rights expert appointed by the Human Rights Council has spoken out against appalling levels of violence faced by activists, women journalists and indigenous communities there. Traditional communities, and in particular those of African descent, face the greatest threats, said Clément Voule, who's the special rapporteur on the right to peaceful assembly and freedom of association. He was speaking at the end of an official visit to Brazil, where he urged the state to create a safe and enabling environment where people could express their views freely. The special rapporteur highlighted the frequent excessive use of force by law enforcement during protests and said that violence against politically elected leaders, in particular Afro-descendant and trans women, posed a serious threat to political participation and democracy. Ahead of general elections in October, Mr Vool urged the state to ensure that all polls were non-discriminatory, free of misinformation, fake news and hate speech. He also called on the Brazilian authorities to protect candidates from any threats or attacks online and offline. The headlines there. We just heard about growing global food insecurity and here's another take on the issue from the Food and Agriculture Organisation FAO. It's been exploring how one town in northern Italy sparked a global movement to push for low-carbon, local food systems that are more nutritious, equitable and sustainable. On a crisp, bright Sunday morning, hazelnut producer Elisa Proglio stands under an orange tent with jars and packets of her products spread out around her. Nuts, oils, spreads and sauces. She holds out a palm full of nuts, offering customers a sample. The hazelnuts are lightly toasted at a low temperature, she explains, to enhance their natural taste without distorting it. Romeo runs the hazelnut farm that's been in her family for four generations with her father and brother. She's just one of the dozens or so local producers that each weekend bring their cheeses and cured meats, wines and preserves to sell here at the Mercato della Terra, or Slow Food Earth Market, in the northern Italian town of Alba. Each fall, Alba draws thousands of visitors for its truffles, a kind of rare underground mushroom that grows in the area. But the surrounding countryside also offers a rich and diverse bounty of agricultural products, grown with environmentally sustainable methods that have been passed down from one generation to the next. The slow food movement was launched in Bra, the town next over, some 40 years ago, by a group of people concerned about supporting small producers of good, clean and fair food. Those same values prompted 30 local producers here in Alba to set up the Slow Food Earth Market more than a decade ago. Among them was wine producer and now Earth Market president Gianni Ramelli. He says during Italy's economic boom in the 70s, many farmers moved into town to work for two big companies here and the direct link with local food producers was lost. Despite Alba's agricultural roots and being surrounded by countryside, there was no market where local farmers directly sold their products, only supermarkets and stores. The Earth Day market, says Ramelli, gives space for local producers not only to sell their produce, but also to share with customers the story of how they're made. Some, like hazelnut producer Elisa Proglia, who sells about 80% of her products here, offer seasonal walks from the center of town to her orchards nearby. 
Others, like honey producer Marco Giordano, tells his story through taste. Partiamo con mille fiori che facciamo in montagna, in alta montagna. Giordano dips a stick into a gleaming jar of wildflower honey for a customer to taste. This is the sweetest honey we make, from wildflowers that grow high in the mountain, where there's only me, a shepherdess, cows, sheep and goats. Giordano says selling honey is not just a business. We sell our life. We do not sell our products, but our coexistence with bees. And he says the earth market is a place where he can explain that relationship with his bees and with the environment. This past year was a tough one, an especially long cold spell, followed by a scorching hot summer linked to climate change, reduced nectar production. So some types of honey aren't on his table. He says at the market, he's able to share the challenges and also the joys with his customers. I dedicate the time it takes for first-time customers to explain what we do and what we experience with bees. That's why it matters to me that people give me the chance to have them taste the honey before they buy a jar. It is fundamental, the relationship between the producers and the consumers, because the story has to be told. Says Roberta Biliteri, vice president of Slow Food Italy. She says by story, she means all that goes into a slow food product. Good labor practices, sustainable agricultural techniques, and basic rights, like the right to safe and nutritious food. For the past 13 years, she and her partner have been growing local varieties of bada beans and green peppers in her home region of Sicily. Biliteri says she loves her way of life and the community of small producers she's come to depend on, but it hasn't been easy. A long time ago, I decided just to produce in a certain way, paying attention to environment, people, quality rather than quantity. The problem is that we live in a system or in a world in which food is a commodity and not a community. And this way of thinking and acting and consuming and producing is definitely the opposite of what slow food is and practice. Down the Tanara River from Alba is the intellectual epicenter of the slow food movement, the University of Gastronomical Studies, situated in the village of Polenzo, just on the edge of Bra. The university opened in 2004 to students from around the globe, founded by the same person who was key to launching the slow food movements two decades earlier, the now 72-year-old Carlo Petrini. Petrini recounts how the slow food movement was born in the late 1980s to protest against the opening of a fast food franchise in the historic heart of Rome. It quickly grew into the global network it is today, with farmers, fishers, nomads and educators in 110 countries, and the biannual Terra Madre, Mother Earth, gatherings. The founders of Slow Food had a two-pronged approach. On the one hand, they created a manifesto that exalted and strengthened the idea of a slower and more thoughtful approach to food. But even more important was preserving the cultural diversity that the individual gastronomies of the world express. 
Maki Kotaguchi is an agricultural officer at the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations, FAO. She says focusing on local production has many benefits. It requires less transportation and less storage, which means a less environmental impact. And also, sometimes the consumers get to know the producers, which creates trust between the consumer and the producer, and also helps the consumers really appreciate where the food comes from. And the social element of food production is important, she says. Each country, each region, city or town has its own cultural and environmental history, which really deeply affects the food system, and I think is key to preserving biodiversity. The slow food model really embraces diversity and offers a local approach to sustainable food systems that I think resonates with many people around the world. Thanks so much to our friends at the FAO for that delicious taste of Italy. Now to wrap up the show, here's regular guest Solange Bejetege-Cortez with some more food for thought. Hi Sol. Hola Daniel. You know that I grew up in La Paz, Bolivia. Well, the sound of the bell reminds me of a tradition. After the religious wedding, some newlywed couples would visit seven churches to take pictures of themselves in front of the main entrance. But once, while eating at a very well-known international fast food diner, I saw a newlywed couple taking a picture in front of it. The image of the bride with her long white dress posing with Ronald McDonald was so strong, something related to status, culture, symbolism, globalization. For the record, long after this episode, McDonald's pulled out of Bolivia. It is now the only country in Latin America where there is no McDonald's and one of the reasons is that the street food is good and cheap. The interview we heard clearly says that slow food is not just a business, but about telling a story. Not only selling honey, but sharing the story of coexistence with bees. But we have to tell good stories if we want to change the relation between producers and consumers. Stories that will motivate people to take their pictures in small towns, tasting the honey with the producers. Stories that make us to reflect about our relationship with Mother Earth, which is Pachamama in Aymara language between slow and fast, local and global, market and supermarket, ethics and profits. As we heard, when we have the choice, we must learn how to eat slow. And to conclude, Daniel, I will borrow the title of a photo exhibition from Alain Fouret, Changer le climat dans votre assiette, which means change the climate in your plate. Thank you, Sol. I was just looking at Alain Fouret's superb foodie photos from his book that accompanies the exhibition. As the editor's notes say, climate and food are interlinked. 30% of greenhouse gases come from producing the food we eat. That's all we have time for, so a huge dollop of thanks to everyone out there for hopefully savouring this week's show from UN Geneva and, of course, for following the work of the organisation. We'll be back next week. Hope you'll join us too. Until then, bye-bye for now. Oh,